0: That is 2016 NEA Jazz Master Archie Shepp, and an excerpt of his composition, Attica Blues. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Archie Shepp is a jazz saxophonist, one of the best. He is also a composer, pianist, singer, poet, and playwright. There is little that Archie Shep does not do and do very well. Archie Shep came on the jazz scene in the 1960s, and became known for a unique style of free-form avant-garde jazz blended with African rhythms. He's collaborated with some of the giants of jazz, Cecil Taylor, the New York Contemporary Five Ensemble, Sonny Rollins, and John Coltrane. In fact, he was one of the musicians Coltrane chose to play on his watershed album, Ascension, which is now considered one of the turning points in avant-garde music. Shep's musical explorations include spoken word and poetry incorporated into his albums. Sometimes he puts down the alto sax and steps up as a vocalist. Although he's been at the head of the free jazz movement, Shep's musicality casts a wide net. He performs ballads, blues, rhythm and blues, spirituals, as well as tributes to other jazz masters such as Charlie Parker and Sidney Bechet. And Shep has never shied away from commenting on social issues through his music. Attica Blues, for example, was a response to the Attica prison riots, while The Cry of My People addresses civil rights. Archie Shep has had a long career as an educator, teaching at the University of Massachusetts Amherst for some 30 years as an ethnomusicologist. Archie Shep was born in Florida in 1937, but he was raised in Philadelphia in a home filled with music.
1: My father played the banjo. So he was really a, a blues man and he had a, he had a Catholic taste as, as far as jazz music is concerned. And I suppose I started music with the banjo. That was my very first instrument. I harassed him to show me some chords on the banjo. So by the time I was seven or eight years old, I could make the first few chords of James P. Johnson's composition, the Charleston. So I was always into music. I started taking piano lessons at the age of about 12. I uh, was really totally taken with the music that my father played for me on the radio. He liked Duke Ellington and Count Basie. He listened to Artie Shaw and Vinnie Goodman. He listened to everybody. So by the age of 13, I knew I wanted to play this music but I suppose I was more into Boogie Woogie than anything.
0: Archie also started to play the clarinet, and he thought he had found his instrument, until he heard a saxophone.
1: About the age of 15, I happened to hear a young man, uh, Norman Satchel. He was one of my classmates. And he was playing tenor, but I wanted to play the clarinet until I heard him play the tenor saxophone. And I was really impressed. I went home and told my mother, Mom, I, I want to change from clarinet to saxophone. So about the age of 15, I started taking saxophone lessons from a colleague of Coltrane's, a, a guy who was not very well-known, but a very fine saxophone player named Tony Mitchell. And it was Tony who kind of got me started playing, and, and, I, and I got into this music by way of him.
0: But even while he took up the saxophone, Archie never stopped studying and playing piano, and it has served him well.
1: Piano was always very basic to my evolution on the saxophone. It was through the piano that I actually learned to play chord changes and so on. And eventually I met a guy who became very important for me. We were both about the same age. He was a little younger than I was. Edward Lee Morgan, the trumpet player. In a way, he he was a musical genius. He was only 15, and at that age, he was playing with people like Coltrane and some of the best musicians in Philadelphia. For me, he was really quite an important influence. Lee seemed to like the way I played the blues, so whenever he had gigs that didn't involve too many chord changes, blues gigs, he he would frequently call me. So that's how I really got into this music.
0: African-Americans faced many challenges in mid-20th century America, and Philadelphia was no exception.
1: There was a lot of racism and prejudice in Philadelphia, and uh, there were many social problems. Uh, uh, Black schools were inferior, and uh, uh, not only was there poverty, but uh, there was a great deal of crime and, and violence but a lot of music and a lot of blues and some good times. I suppose that's what jazz is all about, suffering and good times and some, somehow making the best of all of that. Music has always been a, a balm to the soul. I think for the African American people, going back to slavery, where we sang songs to work the work songs, spirituals, blues, and the eventual evolution of instrumental music in New Orleans and uh, the piano stride music on the East Coast. All these were ori- the original creation of African-American people, and I think it it was a w- way we had of surviving and, and somehow seeing... Uh, another side of life other than suffering and uh, poverty.
0: And Archie could see the joy music brought to his own home.
1: My father was a great inspiration because he loved to play uh, the banjo and uh, I can remember every Wednesday after he got paid he'd buy a little wine and then he'd play all the old, please don't talk about me when I'm gone and all the all the songs from that epic. And sometimes I'd join in with the saxophone.
0: With all its challenges, Philadelphia was a great place for a young, eager musician.
1: Music was all over Philadelphia. You could go down to North Philadelphia and hear young John Coltrane or Johnny Coles, uh, Jimmy Oliver, Jimmy Heath. There were a lot of very fine musicians playing in Philadelphia at the time. and. Jazz was really the thing. It wasn't until I met Lee Morgan that I really began to get into modern jazz music, the music of Parker, Gillespie, and people like that. The guys who lived downtown were a bit more sophisticated musically than the guys who lived in my neighborhood. And mostly I knew about blues before I actually met Lee Morgan and some of those guys from North Philadelphia. That's where the music was played primarily, in North Philly. I lived in Germantown, and we were more blues-based and not quite so hip.
0: <laughs> Perhaps surprisingly, Archie Shep studied drama at Goddard College. But there was no doubt that music was his first love and would be his profession. It's what brought him to New York and a world of musical possibilities.
1: After college, uh, not only did I meet a variety of artists, but I got to play with some really great musicians around New York. opened up an entirely different world for me because I began to meet people who who musically were very uh, sophisticated and and, uh, advanced, who were on the cutting edge of of the music, like Coltrane and Cecil Taylor and uh, Arnett Coleman. Uh, They actually were changing the way this music would be played eventually. Uh, If we look at a lot of the young people playing today,
0: soon after arriving in new york shep met in close order cecil taylor and john coltrane both of whom would profoundly impact archie's career
1: my background was very traditional conventional until i met cecil taylor in the early 1960s and he gave me the chance to record with him and cecil was quite an influence on me intellectually and And musically, he's a brilliant man, and uh, part of my my evolution as an African-American, as as a musician, is due to conversations I had with him and uh, the influence he had on my later development. Taylor's music was totally different from anything anybody else was doing at the time. because its piano music was more dense and complicated, at least sounded so, than the music, say, of Ornette Coleman, who also became quite a hero to me when he came to New York. I think with Cecil, he opened up an entirely new set of uh, options for me as far as playing music without chords, changing tempi, devices which he used quite successfully, and which later influenced my own composition and the way I approached music. I can remember he he was talking about his concept, playing the piano. For example, he said to, to me, when I play the piano, I feel like my fingers are dancers on the keys. And I thought, what an image, and it takes you right there, of course. My fingers are dancers on the keys of the saxophone. But, of course, he had studied dance, and and that was a natural reference for him to make. I learned from him that jazz music, if you will, has a a number of possibilities. John Coltrane, who was really a a hero to me, trains from the decade just before mine. He was already a, a legend, and so I sort of made it my a mission to hear this man, but I never heard him while I was in Philadelphia. It was only after I started college I came back home to visit, and by chance, uh, I found out that Coltrane was playing at a club called the Red Rooster in West Philadelphia, and I went to hear him. The thing about it was when I first heard him, I wasn't that impressed because he didn't play much. I only remember that what he played was something so different. I'd never quite heard chords played the way he did. He had a way of ripping the chords off. And the next time I heard him, uh, I was in college. It was his first recording with Miles Davis. I think it was called Green Haze. I bought the record, and uh, I told all my schoolmates, you've you got to listen to this guy, he's the next guy, he's the guy you got to listen to.
0: He made it his business to meet and learn from John Coltrane, which he did in 1963.
1: Later, when he joined Thelonious Monk, I lived just around the corner from the Five Spot, and I used to be there every night to hear him. And one night, I, I got up enough nerve to ask him if he would show me some things on the saxophone. And he very graciously uh, accepted, and uh, I was at his home the next day at 10 o'clock in the morning. He was in bed because i'd met him about four or five in the morning at the club just as it was closing and then the story is that he usually practiced even after he went home so when i came the next day at, at 10 the wife then uh, anita she said well he's asleep but he's expecting you and so i sat there till about one o'clock and then John got up, and he went straight to his horn, which was on the sofa, and then he began to play. He just started playing like he was eating breakfast, really, and it was something rather like giant steps because he played for about 15 minutes unaccompanied. Then he asked me to play for him, and uh, I was playing alto sax at the time, and he told me, well, your fingers are coming way up off the keys. He said, if you want to play fast... You've got to keep your fingers close to the keys on the horn. And so it was something I I started to work on immediately, keeping my fingers closer to the keys. He talked to me for the rest of the day about Miles Davis and Thelonious Monk. In fact, my meetings with John were frequently not exchanges on the horn, but we would just talk all day about people he appreciated and liked. He was like a big brother to me, a brother I never had.
0: Meanwhile, Archie Shep was developing his own approach to making music and honing his own performance style.
1: I saw the connection between theater and music. I majored in theater in college, so for me, even today, my performances always have an aspect of theater. For example, I, I remember when I was a young man, I was performing at the Five Spot, and a friend of mine said, you know, people come not only to hear music, but to see music. He said, when you were fixing your reed on the bandstand a few minutes ago, half the audience was not listening to the music but watching you fix your reed. So sometimes I do that. I do things on stage which I know will generate a visual connection and seems to make the the music somehow stronger and more uh, integral to the entire presentation.
0: Over the course of his career, Archie Shepp must have recorded upwards of 40 of his own albums, beginning in 1962.
1: My first recording was one that I put together with Bill Dixon, and we later released that on Savoy Records. We sold the tape. I did my first recording for an important company, uh, Candid Records uh, when I joined Cecil Taylor's group. And uh, later, John Coltrane was very instrumental in helping me to get a recording date. With impulse, I eventually signed a contract. I was with them for about seven or eight years, during which time I didn't make a lot of money, but I, it, it was more than I'd ever made before. And uh, Bob Thiel, who was the a uh, and man, gave me complete reign of, of my recording date, so I, I could choose anyone I wanted. For example, when we did uh, Attica Blues, I used Aretha Franklin's guitarist. I recorded with Roy Haynes, with Ron Carter, with Walter Davis Jr., many of the most important musicians in New York. feel and John Coltrane, I'm, I'm deeply indebted for having had the chance to record this very, very uh, interesting and um, important uh, musicians. Important because I also learned a lot myself while performing with these people.
0: One reason why Archie Shepp is a musician and composer of such breath is his embrace of all musical forms and his collaboration with younger performers from outside the jazz world, like Yazeen Bey formerly known as Mos Def.
1: He's a very good singer, he has a very nice voice, and that he sings uh, very good blues. Uh, Yassin was not the only one I, I also recorded with Chuck D. I did a performance here in Prairie with Chuck D and Fab Five, and and I found them to be very engaging young men, uh, very uh, involved. Chuck is very political and he's rap, always seems to have some meaning a social import that talks about the plight of, of African Americans. Public enemy was, was a very important group at one point because they did have such socio-cultural implication. But uh, getting back to Yassine, uh, I, I think today we have young people who are using rap to make a statement about the condition uh, that we find ourselves in others are using rap more for entertainment or to express what it's like living in the ghetto and and so it's a kind of poetry that has evolved rap is ultimately poetry set to to rhythm and and in my own humble way i was One of the people who helped evolve that form along with the last poets and groups like that. Some of my earliest, my first recordings involved what today people would call slam or or rap. My poem, Mama Rose. Hey, Mama Rose, you know we're the victims. What am I gonna say to my sons? Cloaks the Potomac in a scarlet shawl And that the pillow beneath you is not here. But I want you to take this ex-cannibal's kiss and turn it into a revolution A revolution. A revolution! Hey. When I started putting words to my recordings, I was very influenced by the sonnet form and so on, things that I had learned in university which you don't hear most rap recordings, largely because a lot of the rappers don't come out of universities. They come out of the streets and and the jails. So their story is equally important. It may be framed in a different context. Since I've always been interested in theater and poetry, and since I'm one of the people who helped to, to start this form, it was only natural that I should hook up with guys like Chuck and Yassine.
0: Archie Shep is also known as a thoughtful educator. He began teaching at Buffalo University in 1969, and then went on to teach at the University of Massachusetts at Amherst. It was the gaps he found in academic resources that led to his work as an ethnomusicologist.
1: When I started to teach at Buffalo University, I was the first acting director of the Black Studies program. That was one of the first black studies programs. Early on I realized that there weren't really many books written about this music and there wasn't really references that I could go to to really explore the history of this music because the connections weren't always made between black instrumental music and the music that came out of the oral tradition. The work songs, the spirituals, the jubilees, the blues which preceded so-called jazz music. The longer I taught, the more people began to write books about black music, uh, about jazz music. Eventually, I began to uh, accumulate a library of books and recordings and films, which added to my uh, ethnomusicological interests and which I was able to communicate, hopefully, to my students, so that they would know that so-called jazz music covers a much wider area than simply people blowing on instruments, but that it evolves from the importation of Africans into the Americas, South America, the West Indies. All these places are very important to the evolution of so-called jazz.
0: Archie Shepp has spent his life not just playing remarkable music. He thinks deeply about African-American music, its history, and its possibilities.
1: When blacks were slaves, there were songs that they sang which actually were songs of liberation, sometimes instructional songs. For example, the song Follow the Drinking Gourd It tells an escaped slave how to follow the North Star to Canada. The directions are within the song itself. Uh, They say that the song Steal Away was written by uh, Nat Turner, who formed one of the first slave rebellions. And in the song he says this, Steal away, steal away. That's to escape. Steal away home. I ain't got long to stay here. Now, that's a spiritual, which perhaps the slave owners would think I'm singing about going to heaven. But in fact, it was a song about escaping from this plantation to go to Canada. And there are other kinds of instructional songs. The work songs, which frequently told a new worker how to do the work. Put a rail over here and put a rail over there. There were songs that uh, actually told people how or what to do. Sometimes they were politically motivated, sometimes they were more functional. Uh, Black music, certain musicians within jazz music always had implications that were related to our liberation. And ultimately, I think African American music has left its stamp on world music. When I look at young kids today, rapping and hip-hop and all those forms, I'm taken back to the spiritual and, and the blues and how important that music has been in helping the music to evolve and helping my people to survive.
0: That was 2016 NEA Jazz Master Archie Shepp. The 2016 NEA Jazz Masters concert will take place on Monday, April 4th at 8 p.m. at the Kennedy Center here in DC. It's hosted by Jason Moran and free and open to the public. For information about tickets, go to arts.gov. And if you can't come to D.C., don't worry. We're streaming it live at arts.gov. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog. Or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening
2: bye uh-huh.